0: Ahoy authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript. With hosts Leslie Watts and Alyssa Archer. Welcome to episode 59 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts.
1: And I'm Alyssa Archer. Leslie and I are the co-captains of Writership.org, where we create books, programs, and content for writers who want to improve their craft. With this podcast, we want to help you edit your way into a great book. If you'd like to find out more about us and Writership, you can find us on the web at Writership.org. The Writership
0: Podcast is brought to you by the Author Marketing Institute as part of the AMI Podcast Network. You can learn more about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.AuthorMarketingInstitute.com. If you go there today, you can get their free video course entitled Selling Your First 100 Copies. That's com.
1: So, I have been feeling completely juiced up since attending the Smarter Artist Summit. Yeah. And it's been... It was it was so cool to just, you know, be hanging out at the table, stuffing swag bags and talking to someone and hearing them say, oh, yeah, I put out my 19th romance book this year or I put out my 7th mystery book in a third series that I've written or I put out my 20th fantasy title this year and I've been writing for three years. I mean, these people are just, this was just the audience. <laughs> <laughs> And I realized um, as I got home and got back to work on my fiction in the evenings, following the dream, I um I realized that there are times when we do get stuck, and there might be a myriad of reasons why we feel resistance for our writing, and you know call it what you will if it's writer's block or simple laziness or a lack of desire or there's some reason there's some root cause that we're not writing and there's a pain that's causing we suffer when we don't write yeah
0: yes definitely i think i'm at my
1: most unhappy when i am not actively writing I agree. And it's, it's almost like exercise at times that once you're back into it, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is the best. Mm-hmm. Why do I ever stop it? And then uh, for whatever reason you do. Anyway, so, um, we have this really cool book called Muse Fuel and it's, um, more than a hundred exercises to help you ascertain what is the, at the root of your own personal block. And um, sometimes just openly examining the issue can help you overcome it. So check it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What I think is particularly helpful about the book is it does help you kind of get to the bottom of what's the what's the issue and then offers some suggestions and solutions, all of which include a little writing, which is um, priming the pump Um. And so I think it's a really helpful tool to have in your toolbox for when things are tricky.
1: Yeah, and on on that note, that's actually a good segue to our quote of the week. Do you have that for us, Leslie? I do. Writing tip, don't let the
0: writing rules bog you down when you're writing the first draft. They don't matter when you're writing the story, only when you're editing the story. And that is from Linda Westfall.
1: I think this is very true.
0: I struggle with this a lot. Um, and I think part of it is the shifting between editing and, you know, wearing the, the hat of the editor and wearing the hat of the creator. Um, and it's a, it's a bit of a difficult transition for me. Um, that I'm getting better at, but uh, but I find that it is um, it's challenging to not be thinking about those kinds of things when I'm writing.
1: I have a friend who writes, I'd say when he writes, he writes 2,000 to 2,500 words in a session. And I've been lucky enough to see some super early drafts. And they're hideous from a technical standpoint, right? The quotation marks are all in the wrong place. It's got missing periods, spelling's wrong. You know, just you could never publish what he's written. But the voice shines through just amazingly. And he's someone who I've really learned from um, this particular aspect, right? Just don't, don't let that little bitty details bog you down. Yeah, nice. All right. So, shall we get to today's submission? Yes. Do you want to introduce it?
0: Sure. Um, Today's story is called Beauty's Daughter. It is a fantasy novella by Eustacia Tan. And the total word count for this is 29,000. It's not yet published. And this is, um, I should know the the episode number but Eustacia Tan um wrote a book called the uh, a novella called The Nutcracker King and we um discussed it on the podcast some time ago I'll have that link in the show notes to make sure that you can go back and check that out um and so we don't always we don't usually have um Uh, multiple submissions from authors but this was kind of cool because it's happening in the same world and I thought it would be a good um, way to a good way to see kind of how a story progresses and and to talk about that. So this is not strictly speaking a sequel to The Nutcracker King but it does happen in the same world.
1: All right here we go with the prologue to Beauty's Daughter. Birth of a Princess The morning of the full moon celebration was bright and clear. The sky was a deep blue. The sun gave off a golden warmth, and though it was winter, all the flowers were in full bloom. But for the people, this was part and parcel of living in a kingdom with two fairy-blessed rulers. They just took out their festive red clothes, decorated their houses, and prepared to celebrate. In the Palace of the Stars, within the royal compound, the royal family were preparing to celebrate as well. Isn't this a wonderful day? King Charming strode into the room where Beauty sat nursing their child, a wide smile lighting up his face. Yes. Beauty smiled up at him, looking as radiant as the day he had woken her. The perfect day for a celebration. In her arms, she cradled their precious daughter, who had come into the world just a month ago, yet the king and queen couldn't imagine their lives without her. "'I wonder what name the fairies will give her,' Beauty said. Charming leant over to give Beauty a kiss. "'Well, the name Beauty's already taken. Do you think gorgeous sounds like a good name?' Beauty giggled. "'Personally, I'm hoping for something like Grace.' Wouldn't that be lovely, a graceful little girl? I can't wait to have her start dance lessons and then she can practice dancing with her father. Sounds great. In fact, I'll probably be right there taking lessons with her. Here, I'll take her. Charming reached out his arms and took the little princess from Beauty. He gently cradled his daughter as Beauty got up and walked over to her closet. She chose a crimson and left to change. A few minutes later, she walked out in the figure-hugging dress, self-consciously rubbing her stomach. The mandarin collar was fastened with butterfly knots of gold, emphasized her long, slender neck while slit at the side, stopped midwi- midway up her thigh, showing off her legs. If there were any flaws, the elaborate embroidery hid them all. "'What do you think?' she asked." It's my first time wearing a Sam since, well, I think the last time I wore this was during the New Year celebrations last year. I'm not sure if the confinement diet helped me lose weight. She reached out her arms for the baby. Wait your turn. You've held her the whole morning, Charming smiled. And you look fabulous no matter what you wear. And it was true. Beauty looked stunning in her Sam. Charming reached for Beauty to pull her in for a kiss, but at that moment there was a knock at the door. "Come in," Your Majesties," eunuch Wang said as he walked into the room. "The East Heaven Gate and Koi Gate are due to open in an hour. The first few carriages are already in sight." Good. And you've made sure the West Hall Gate is West Hell Gate is locked, right? "'Sealed up tight, and we even sprinkled salt around it. "'There's no need for that, isn't there?' "'Beauty directed the last part to her daughter. "'We don't believe in such things.' Nonetheless, Charming added, "'Thank you. "'I trust that the carriages will be packed and parked in the courtyard, "'have servants at the gate of the sun, "'ready to serve our guests' refreshments as soon as they arrive.' Eunuch Wong bowed, trying to hide his smile.' Everything has already been done. I saw that, Beauty said, a mischievous smile on her face. You must be thinking what overexcited parents we are to constantly repeat our commands. The old eunuch smiled and self-consciously stroked his long beard. I dare not take such liberties with the king and queen, but rest assured there will be no mistakes tonight. He bowed once more and left. Beauty and Charming looked at each other and laughed. If we're this nervous now, what's going to happen when she grows up? Charming leaned over and gave Beauty a kiss. We'll figure it out. Shall we go, my queen? As you wish, my king, Beauty said, taking her daughter back from Charming. The three of them made their way to the Hall of Blessing. Red lamps hung along the edges of the room, and auspicious words were pasted upside down on the walls. And the air was the scent of the banquet food, which was being kept warm just outside. See the pretty hall, Beauty said, turning slowly so the baby could take in the sight. This is the hall of blessing, my little jewel. The fairies are going to give you your name blessing here. Isn't that wonderful? Now, why don't you rest until they arrive? Very gently, Beauty put her in an ornate crib made of cedar wood and joined Charming on the throne next to his as they waited for their guests to arrive. The guests were coming not just from all over the kingdom, but from other lands as well. They had sent invitations to the newly crowned Nutcracker nutcracker King and Queen in the far west, to King Arnold and Queen Amanda in the neighboring country, as well as many other royals, and of course to the fairies. Charming and beauty had gone to great pains to ensure that all fairies, even the crotchety ones, were given invitations to the celebration. Some fairies proved hard to reach, and several attempts to contact them had been necessary, but in the end, all the invitations had been delivered. Soon the hall was bustling with people, all lining up to take their turn to greet the little princess. Congratulations, the nutcracker king boomed. He was a strange one. A wooden doll that was human-sized. We're hoping for some good news soon, too. You must come and celebrate with us if that happens, right, my dear? He looked at his wife tenderly. Yes, Queen Marie whispered, clearly uncomfortable in his presence. There had been rumors that this queen was not from this world, but some other one. The Nutcracker Kingdom had always been an oddity. And apparently, he once had some form of relationship with Beauty's stepmother, though no correspondence or proof was ever recovered. However, suspicion alone was enough to make Beauty and Charming keep their distance. Queen Marie walked up to Beauty and handed her a small box. This is a full moon present from us, she said. It's one of the few remaining clocks in our kingdom created by the late Drozlmeyer. He was my godfather. Behind Queen Marie, the nutcracker's eyes flashed red for a moment, though his fixed smile didn't change. Something about him felt familiar to beauty, and she instinctively took a step back. Thank you, Charming cut in and took the gift. It's a very thoughtful present. Neither of them mentioned the bad luck associated with clocks. Song Zhang, Song Jong give death, give death. The Nutcracker King and Queen Marie cooed over the princess, then made their way back into the crowd. Beauty told herself to find Queen Marie later and offer any help she could, even though she could not figure out why Queen Marie reminded Beauty of herself. The next guests were King Arnold and Queen Amanda, a striking couple, though sadly, very unblessed. What a beautiful girl. Queen Amanda cooed over the baby as King Arnold handed Charming and Beauty their full moon gift. "'Have you decided on a name?' Beauty smiled indulgently. "'I'm waiting for my godmother to come and name her, or any other fairy, really. Par- personally, I'm partial to something like Grace.' "'Ooh, Grace,' Queen Amanda breathed. "'How wonderful. I'm partial to Snow White myself. Doesn't it sound like something the fairies would name a child?' And that brings us to the end of our submission.
0: I love that last line. Doesn't it sound like something the fairies would name a child? Yes, it actually does. As <laughs> a oh, matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, That's right. It's kind of, um, it feels, it feels playful. And I like that, uh, that sort of nod to the fairy tales. Um, so yeah, so this is really interesting because the the Nutcracker um, King and Queen were um, in the Nutcracker King story, and um, so we're having we're seeing them from someone else's point of view in this story, and so um, so that's that's always interesting to me. And um, coincidentally, I want to talk about point of view in this. Um, in this piece because, um, it feels like we're not really, we're not firmly in anyone's, um, point of view. We're, um, in the beginning, we have the, that first paragraph, we're kind of, um, we've got a distant third, um, where we're kind of hearing about what's going on. And then we seem to, um, move into, um, to be seeing things from King Charming's point of view, um, but then, at, at a few places, it, we switch a little bit, or it seems to, um, to um, to Beauty's point of view. And so, what I wanted to suggest is to kind of um, is to look at the look at the story as a whole for one thing, and and think about what would be. Um, through whose eyes could you best tell the story? Um, you um, you want to... Uh, blah, blah. Lost my
1: train of thought there for a moment. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, you want to think about who's going to change over the course of the story. Whose story is this? Mm-hmm. Who are we attaching ourselves to?
0: hmm And the protagonist doesn't have to be the doesn't have to be the point of view character, but often that is the case. Um, And I think it could be really interesting depending on, and a a different story, right? Depending on whose point of view um, we're seeing it through. And you can um, switch uh, from scene to scene, um, much like, um, I'm trying to think of, um, well, obviously in Game of Thrones, we have a different point of view character in every chapter, and we kind of cycle through them. Um, in um, in others,
1: like um, I know, in like thrillers, oh, like you'll sometimes the- go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say the Poisonwood Bible, or mm-hmm. in um, As I Lay Dying.
0: Okay. Yeah, and. Um, you know, sometimes in a thriller, you'll have a, um, you'll have the main point of view character, but every so often you'll slip into the, um, the point of view of the villain, which obviously not what's going on here, but, um, but so you want to kind of, you know, think about that and look at the scenes and the story as a whole and decide how you want to do it across the whole novella. And then, um, and then if you're going to switch, if it's necessary to switch um from one character to another then think about you know who can best um filter the events of a scene for the um for your reader so that was one thing the other thing i really wanted to talk about here is uh is the our verbs so we have um and it's not um it's not terrible. I don't want to suggest that at all but uh, but this presents an opportunity to talk about it, about the use of um of the verbs to be and kind of you know checking those out and seeing you know is there another way that you can say it with a with a stronger verb. Um so there's was and then there's also choosing um uh specific more specific verbs. So what I want to see. so in the beginning, we have the morning of the full moon celebration was bright and clear. And, um, Alyssa, you suggest in your critique, you suggested dawned, um, as an, as a nice verb to, um, for that sentence. And it just, um, it makes the, it, it makes things sing a little bit more it's a little more interesting it's a little more lively and you can also use those um you know those specific verbs are also great for conveying character for instance um let me see there was a point when okay so we um a lot of times we have people walk or move or look or see Um, and we can spice that up a little bit with, you know, with more specific words. How did they move? Did they, um, bolt? Did they saunter? Did they, um, you know, did they tiptoe? You know, so, so actually getting that, um, That very specific verb can convey character, it can convey mood, and it helps you to avoid adverbs and adjectives, which is a really, um, really good thing to do. Even though those are all fabulous words, um, the prose is just much more lively when you're working with
1: with the verb. I agree. I'm getting invaded by children here. Uh Uh-oh that happens sometimes doesn't it yes all right lesson note note to self lock the door next time (laughs) (laughs) um i agree with all of that very much verbs are verbs are the power they're like the mitochondria of the sentence oh i like that Mm -hmm. nice yeah so i would um i would add that for me this piece had a bit of throat clearing so um i noticed that there's this string of to be verbs in that opening paragraph setting the scene of you know this bright shiny day and people are getting ready to celebrate and and then the king walks in and says isn't this isn't this a wonderful day and we see the sun and um, beauty references a celebration. So we've, in the space of a few lines of dialogue, already accomplished everything that the first sort of lengthy paragraph did. So I might suggest just cutting that first paragraph and starting with this dialogue.
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: if there is anything that needs to be worked in, then work it in. Um, but I think for the most part, what what's um, done in the telling is done better in the showing Mm -hmm, directly mm -hmm. thereafter Uh, let's see flipping through documents here
0: yeah I think you were going to talk about um, the dialogue as well
1: yeah so there are a couple places um, when I was reading at oh first of all I wanted to point out this um, song 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 give death give death this bad luck clock is just completely chilling and haunting and i just love that <laughs> so don't change that Eustacia. <laughs> keep that in no matter what <laughs> I, know. I I always forget you know it's uh, you sort of take for granted that the author will understand that what you love but it's really important to call out those specific lines that you find just absolutely mm-hmm. riveting and mm-hmm. Um, So some of the dialogue uh, seemed off in terms of diction, like when um, Charming says, sounds great, that seemed a little bit off. Um, And then uh, when he said, do you think gorgeous sounds like a good name? It's uh, the third repetition of name in quick succession, Mm -hmm. and um, it also just doesn't Come off the tongue real easily. So make sure that when you're revising, you actually read your dialogue out loud and see if it feels like something that would naturally come off someone's tongue. And if it doesn't, you'll want to think about what might. Um, let's see. Any last thoughts on this one? Oh! tension mm-hmm. so uh
0: <laughs> oh i'm feeling tense, tense that, now
1: <laughs> that tension. um so there is uh a, a sweet celebration about to happening there's a young girl who's having a name day and everyone's been invited and it's all lovey-dovey and all the fairies have been invited and this Nutcracker King is there, and he's a bit of an odd fellow, and his eyes flash red. But for the most part, there's just really no impending threat, doom, gloom, desire, or... I mean, the biggest question is, who gets to hold the baby? Mm-hmm. Um, and what might she be named? And this just isn't enough. Like By the page five in this story, we should have some kind of um, character who's deeply desirous of something. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least. And so that's one thing I would suggest this author do is to inject some desire or attention or perhaps even um, the arrival of one of those crotchety fairies. Something that inflicts some conflict mm-hmm. to this. That would be my biggest suggestion.
0: Yeah, I think there are a couple of hints at what's to come. Um, you've talked about uh, you talked about this in I want to say fifty episode fifty six with the uh, um, Blackstone's stable mm-hmm. mystery at Blackstone's stable um, that um, that if you're not you know if you need to like lay the groundwork for the big conflict to come, that's fine, but having a um, a bridging, a bridge conflict that kind of pulls us into the story right away.
1: Right. It does not, this, this early conflict doesn't necessarily have to relate as you're saying to the main conflict, um, but it needs to help us get there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's actually kind of a nice um, segue to today's editorial mission, which is desire. So as we were saying, your book doesn't need to start with a shoot-em-up conflict um, or even with the main conflict, but it does need to start with some kind of tension in order to hold your audience' attention. <laughs> well uh-huh. done. So we want you today, this week, to examine your first five pages and look for evidence of tension, which can be evoked by something so simple as a thwarted desire. It does not matter what it is that's desired. What matters is how strongly your character desires it and how quickly his or her desire is thwarted. Therein lies the tension. So today or this week, write a version of your first five pages, amping the tension up as far as you can take it. Overwrite it. Feel feel like you're just going way over the top. And then I want you to let it sit for a week. Make a note or a date with yourself on your calendar to revisit it in a week and compare it to the original version. Ask yourself which one you like better or if there are aspects that you like about both of them. What can you take away from this exercise for your own writing? And that's it.
0: Desire,
1: Desire. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Alyssa. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. As
0: we wrap things up for this week, remember that the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute, which you can find at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Don't forget to stop by today for access to the video course, Selling Your First 100 Copies.
1: And we keep wanting to announce because we're rather proud of it Uh, we've recently published Writership Anchor to Draft Time this book is a 90 day companion with daily inspiration, information and exercises to help you finish the first draft of your novel it's currently available in ebook form at $2.99 for a limited time on Amazon.com go ahead and grab your copy today if you haven't already All right. That is it for now. We hope to see you next time on the Writership Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Writership Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing the show with your author friends and communities. And right after you do that, make sure to contact the hosts, Leslie and Alyssa, to help you find the treasure in your manuscript. Head on over to writership.org forward slash podcast to submit your pages.